Hello everybody, I am Ben Schluter and welcome to episode 7 of the Two Point Conversion. As you can tell from the sound of my voice, I've had to deal with a lot of crap because of the whole game yesterday and now we must talk about it. Now, I was very furious yesterday. So furious I actually recorded myself uh, with an angry, very angry, very loud rant from yesterday. Um, probably be uploading that around the same time as this so you can hear why I wait a day in order to record this. It's not just for convenience sake of like doing it afterward just is sometimes inconvenient. It's also the fact that it's probably better if I record it the day after so that I've had time to process it, so that I've had time to look at other games, so that maybe I can laugh and have a little bit of fun. Or maybe just look and see, like, well, there was this, and there was that, and just let the emotions come, go out, and let the logical part... Now, great, I still have emotions from it, but, like, the logical part just come in. So, first of all, let's talk about the game itself. LSU falls to Missouri 45-41, to in a weird game that happened with weird circumstances surrounding it. So first of all, it is important to mention that the game was moved at not necessarily the last minute, but pretty late from Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge to Missouri Stadium, which for some... Memorial Field, I believe, is the name of the uh, stadium. Yep, Memorial Stadium, Faro Field... Uh, or Farat. I don't know how to pronounce it, as I've never heard it said before. And it was the first game that LSU ever played in the state of Missouri. Uh, LSU was designated the home team, but, you know, that didn't end up working out so well for us, did it? Uh, LSU had a chance to win the game late with a catch by, I think it was Terrence Marshall at the one-yard line before straight plays... Failed, and LSU lost. Great goal line stand, by the way, by Missouri's defense. Perfect goal line stand. Now, um, I need to think of a way... I hadn't thought of a way to actually order this. Because I know who I want to go off on. Or I know where I want to go off on. But I don't know if I want to get the anger out on the defense done first. Or if I want to actually praise the offense. Or if I want to talk about something stupid. Um, actually, you know what? I'll just talk about the first thing. Uh, people calling for Coach Joe's head after this game. It's not his fault. Don't think that Coach O is the reason we lost this game. He is not a coach in the same sense of a normal coach. He's not an offensive coach nor a defensive coach. He gives his duties to other guys. He's learned that he's not the smartest guy out there. I mean, honestly, he says it himself. He's not very smart as a football coach compared to the other guys he has around him. He gets the guys that do better than he does. Because he knows, like, he knows what he sees in his assistants. And so, when you want to look at the problems, you don't start with Coach O. He is not where everything runs through. Everything runs through coordinators. So, you want to blame the offense, though. I ask you, why do you want to blame the offense? What did the offense do wrong? What did the offense do wrong? I'll tell. There's one thing I will say that... um. The offense did so absolutely horribly as a cohesive unit that it boggles the mind. How do you go 0 for 10 on third down? 0 for 10. You couldn't convert a third down the whole game? Um, that's not good. 
Here's what's worse. There's a guy whose basic job it is to call third down plays. He's new. His name is Scott Linehan. Now, I was okay with the hire at the time, and people were okay with it. But now, actually looking back on it and having thought about it for five seconds, holy cow, was that a dumb hire. Scott Linehan got fired by the Rams because the Rams didn't do anything under him and, you know, conservative offensive play calling. Oh, but he had this top 10 offense with the Cowboys. Because Tony Romo and Des Bryant were there and if and Jason Witten, and if you couldn't have a top 10 passing offense with those guys there, you don't deserve to be a coach. Do you know why the Cowboys fire Scott Linehan? Scott Linehan couldn't get anything done with that offense. The offense was sputtering under Scott Linehan. So they fired him. And we decided to pick him up, and what do you know? We can't convert third downs. That's a problem. You know what else is a problem? When your quarterback keeps getting hit every single time that he tries to throw the ball. There are only a couple of times where he had a really clean pocket. Miles Brennan was getting battered around that game, and there is no excuse for it because, okay, it would be something if Missouri had all their starting defensive linemen. Three of them were out. They had three defensive linemen out this game. Two due to COVID, one due to an injury, including, I think, their best defensive lineman, and you couldn't protect Miles Brennan. You couldn't get a run game going because you didn't have an offensive line. What the hell is the issue? There's only one guy returning from last year. I get that. It's Austin Deculus, and he's been suspect throughout the season. But that still gives you no excuse to have this lack of protection on Miles Brennan. He keeps getting hit like this. You know what? He's not going to make it through the season. Do you know what this defensive, sorry, offensive line reminds me of? The Houston Texans. It reminds me of the Texans early in Deshaun Watson's career. Actually, most of Deshaun Watson's career. Honestly, the majority of the time they've been a franchise. Ask David Carr what it's like to be behind an offensive line that can give up that many sacks a game and see how well it goes for you. Ask Deshaun Watson what it's like having to run for your life all around the field just because your offensive line can't block worth a damn. That's the problem. If the offense had only one, the only major problem, and it's humongous, is the offensive line. And it's probably the largest problem we have offensively, and it's second only to the defense. And that's because the defense is a gigantic mess. Before we get on to the defense, let me just say this. Um, so I think that Zach Von Rosenberg is probably one of the most important guys we have on this team. Because when the offense doesn't get it done, he gets it done and makes it so that the defense at least has something of a shot at stopping the opposing offense. I say something of a shot, but you know, it doesn't always work out, does it? Now, I would say he's the best punter in the nation. However, I did get a chance to catch a little bit of the Mississippi State-Kentucky game last night. And okay then, you have a good punter, Kentucky. He may win the Ray Guy Award again. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but Kentucky apparently got the best punter in the entire country. That's just... Okay. Fine then. Nah, have a guy who can bomb the ball like half the field. Every single time you need him. That's... Whatever. Zach Von Rosenberg? Damn good punter. Got, for example, that punt inside the two-yard line that set up the chance for our defense to get that turnover that led to a score? That was huge. Uh, that forced muff where we got the ball. I mean, granted, we had another one where they muffed the 
ball and we had like what three guys on it and they couldn't recover it but you know whatever that's not gonna hurt you at all <laughs> but you know what hurt the worst you know what hurt the very worst the defense oh the defense was an absolute train wreck dumpster fire all folded into one in this game Bo Pelini Bo Pelini let me ask you something can you stop an offense can your defensive schemes be designed in such a way where offenses can't gain 500 yards on you every single time you put out 11 guys on the field. Is it possible for you to do something better? I get it. There hasn't been the same amount of time. There wasn't the spring practice. There wasn't as much time to work with the players. And I know there's been a lot of turnover. And that's why I'm still saying it's like, yeah, it's still reactionary to want him fired. Yes, the defense has given up a lot of yards early in the season. However, it's also early in the season. We haven't had tune-up games. We've lost a lot of defensive talent, and Bo Pelini is running a completely separate scheme from Dave Aranda. Now, granted, I think Dave Aranda is a much better defensive coordinator, and we're learning that pretty quickly, aren't we? Because Bo Pelini's had problems with defense since, um, well, at least since he left LSU, if not during his time here. He had problems at Nebraska. He had problems at Youngstown State. I can tell you this because I actually looked a little bit into it. And, like, he had that one season at Youngstown State where they managed to get into the national title game by sheer, honestly, by sheer bullshit. But other than that, he had problems. The problems with him were that there were always constant fights, constant bickering. His coaching style just did not gel. And that's a problem, because your coaching style has to gel with your players. Um, and, granted, I don't know if that's the problem here, because the main thing that I noticed was a lack of communication. Uh, take, for example, and I want to go through the play-by-play to double-check. I don't exactly know who scores on this one, but it was a deep throw. Um, I think it's a 41-yard I think it was a 41-yarder. Uh, yes, it was the Micah Wilson 41-yard uh, catch and run. And basically what happened on the play was uh, Elias Ricks was one of the safeties or corners that was meant to cover deep. He was meant to go crush in where they had a guy going out. Now, there was another guy, and I can't remember exactly who because this play, like I'm trying to remember the play exactly, and I can't exactly visualize it in my head. Um, but what I can tell you is that there was not a good communication. Were both of those guys on their right assignments? Maybe. But when you see a guy go right past you, Ricks, could you at least try? You saw the guy blow right past you. Just run. Just run. Show some effort. He looks back as if he's like, oh boy, and doesn't even try. A lack of effort on the defense is not a good sign. And there were signs of that. But that play really got me. Um, there, One play that I thought was, like, really suspect was a play, it was a long run, um, and I don't think it's going to get talked about enough, where Derek Stingley looks like he makes his own read. It looks like he goes out of the assignment he was initially meant to take, goes into the backfield to play safety, and recognizes, oh, crap, we don't have any safety help deep. 
we need to have somebody back there because they're probably going to break off a long run. He is completely right about the play, and he makes sure to pressure the guy so that it isn't a touchdown that they gash us for. Granted, they score eventually, but he prevents a touchdown. He gets up, and he's looking at the sideline, and I can't see his face, honestly, so I'm only going off of body language, and I'm pretty terrible at reading that, but he did not look like he was very happy about having to do that. Again, I'm not sure if that was a designed play for him to do that, or whether he made the read himself because he recognized it was an obvious play, but it's not a good sign when I feel that he was making a better call than Bo Pelini. I mean, the worst play, I think, by far, of the game that showed how bad it was, was the play that set up the uh, w- the part where Missouri scored the eventual game-winning touchdown. Because, oh my heavens, Tabetsi, how do you leave the field that wide open for, where was it? Yeah, it was a 69-yard pass play over the middle where there was, like, nobody within, what, 20 yards? I can't exactly remember. What I know is that there was so much of the field wide open that no one was covering. And I'm just talking about small plays. We gave up 585 yards, and the game was only a four-point game. This game was not as close as the numbers make it look, at least the scoreboard. It helps that Missouri had stupid turnovers, the stupid fake punt, the fumble, the muffed kickoff, I mean, not kickoff, a punt. We got breaks because Missouri was being kind of dumb, but also Missouri just gashed us with stupid gimmick plays. A shovel pass in the middle, or shuttle pass, excuse me, I don't exactly know which one it is, to gash us for what, 12 yards? Nobody's covering the middle? Do you know what was a really telling sign? Uh, what was what was their yards per carry average? 5.5. They had a they were averaging five and a half yards per carry on us. 180 rushing yards, 406 passing yards on us. This is a redshirt freshman quarterback. This is his first real start, honestly, and he gashes the LSU defense for 406 yards passing. That's scheming. That's not execution. I am one of those people who I don't necessarily blame players before I blame coaches. Because your job as a coach is to use the players you have effectively. It shouldn't matter who you have out there. There will be times when you're completely outmatched. Yeah, a team like a freaking Wofford is going to lose to Michigan 999 times out of 1,000. And the one time they win, it'll be because of sheer luck and law of average. It doesn't happen. But in this case, when you're talking about relatively evenly matched and you're an LSU program, you should be able to coach your players well enough and put the schematics out there to win football games and not give up 585 yards. Or, I'm sorry, 586. I guess they got an extra yard at some point. I don't know where... Oh, yeah, probably to win the game because they had to push forward because they were super close to their own goal line. Um, But still, what was that? How are you giving up, like, seven-yard runs, six-yard runs on first down and ten? They have middle of the field to work with on first down. You couldn't stop them? They ran the ball 33 times. 
I don't think they had but maybe a handful of plays that didn't go for at least three yards on the ground. Maybe of those 33 rushes, maybe eight or nine of them went for um, fewer than three yards. So like three yards or more, I think there were more of those rushes, and that's inexcusable. And one of those, I think, was is considered as a sack. And I don't like the fact that the NCAA considers sacks as a rushing yard, because, uh-huh, yes, a, a sack is, is a rush. In what universe can you consider a sack a rush? Whatever, whatever. NCAA exists in its own weird parallel universe where wins don't always equal wins, where you can just vacate them. Game never happened that way. Whatever. That's not stupid. Um, but yeah, now a lot of people are calling for Bo Pelini's head. I was calling for Bo Pelini's head when I was yelling, uh, yesterday. But, I am being a little level-headed now. Now, we're paying $2.3 million a year for him. Boy, have we overpaid for him. But, I want to give him a chance. I would like to see, maybe, he can get better. Because, it's not fair, really, to Pelini to just say he should be fired after only three games. Yes, these are Missouri and Mississippi State, and even Vanderbilt got us on the fucking first down runs factor, which is really bad. Run defense should be something that you have down pat. Really. You're running a 4-3 defense. Come on. That's one of the main highlights of it. Like, ugh. Ugh to say the least. Yeah. I honestly think we're going to go like 2 and 7 this year or 2 and 8, excuse me. Um maybe 3 and 7 the way we've looked. The offense has not been the problem yet, but we've also not played against really good teams. If that's how the off if Miles Brennan was getting hit like that against Missouri without three defensive linemen, imagine what Florida's going to do to our asses. We have 49 rushing yards in this game. You think we're going to do anything? Yes, Florida doesn't have a defense. I get that. I get that Florida's given up 100 points in the first three games for the first time since 1917, which is insane to me. What's more insane is that that year, they gave up 175 points and scored six. So, maybe that's not so great, but also, we're going to a packed swamp. So, no communication. There's going to be no communication between the offensive line and Miles Brennan. It's going to be a walloping, I feel. Like, honestly, Florida's probably going to put up 50 points. And I think that's not unreasonable to think of. They have a high-powered offense. We don't have a defense. And we're going to put up maybe 30 points again. But we have to start gelling as a defensive unit. This defense looks absolutely atrocious. I honestly have never seen LSU's defense look worse. I've never seen them look this bad. They look like a Big 12 defense. They look... I don't know what words to use because I've never seen it. They were... No, Saints. That's what they look like. They look like the Saints defense without all the damn penalties. Yeah, the one thing they have over the New Orleans Saints, they aren't stupid with pass interference. No, they rarely get penalized. That's the one great thing I can say about LSU's defense, they don't get penalized. Granted, it's because they can't be doing pass interference because they're getting burnt. Because the scheme is so bad, there's a guy so wide open, you couldn't commit pass interference. 
It's an inexcusable thing for me to have to say where the good reasoning, the good thing, is because you suck so bad you can't even do it. Fix your shit. Bo, it's really bad. Because people are talking about buying him out. They're not going to buy him out. The buyout's $6.9 million. There's no way anyone's going to do that. And it's super reactionary to do it after only three games. I get there are three games, but we usually have more time to work with guys. And there's usually more time to implement the system. Because the system's so new. This is a complete overhaul of the system. A 3-4 to a 4-3. You know what it looks like when you overhaul from a 3-4 to a 4-3 in like a year? without, like, normal coaching stuff, you get the 2012 Saints. The 2012 Saints defense went through a huge overhaul within a year. And look how it worked out. It didn't. It just completely fell flat on its face. That's one of those things. It's why you need that time. Because a defensive scheme and an offensive scheme are two different beasts. You can implement an offensive scheme, in my opinion, having known nothing about football, but just looking at it, so much easier to implement an offensive scheme than a defensive scheme. Because there's so much that goes into a defensive scheme. Um, Whereas with an offensive scheme, you can sometimes just implement like one little gadget play and it'll just break everything. A reminder of what the Dolphins did to the Patriots with the Wildcat. It broke them for one game. The next time, the Dolphins got their asses kicked. Um... Which actually does make me want to bring this up as a way of just a reminder, actually is what I should say, that the two teams that have gashed LSU this year are running new offenses this year. Eli Drinkwitz is the new head coach at Missouri. He's running his new offense. He was running it last year at Appalachian State. Um, So I haven't watched much of Appalachian State from last year, honestly. If I did, I could tell you what the hell they're doing. All I know is it looks fun. And then Mike Leach is running the air raid offense, which hasn't looked so good in the past two weeks, considering they've scored a combined 16 points, and two of those points were not from the air raid. That was from last night. Um, I think it was a blocked kick, and now Mike Leach is saying he might have to purge some players. This whole experiment is going really well, and exactly as... It's actually going exactly how I expected it, minus the 600 yards against LSU. But I did expect him to gash someone for just a bunch of yards at some point randomly and then get shown up. I didn't expect it to be between weeks one and two. And just one more thing, Arkansas got robbed by the SEC's officiating crew because, and I know this isn't about the LSU game, but that was a backwards pass. If you didn't see it, uh, basically, Bo Nix wanted to spike the football. He did not spike the football. He threw a backwards pass. Now, what's the difference between spiking the ball and the backwards pass, you see? Because, for example, um, the infamous Heinz Ward play where he spikes the football. What's the difference between that spike and a backwards... And an actual spike under center. Um, You have rules specifying how a spike works. Spikes weren't actually legal in the NFL, I think, until the 70s. Uh, That would have been intentional grounding, but they introduced it. Uh, And basically, you have to be under center and you have to just spike the ball into the ground. Literally. Like, And if you don't do that, if you throw the ball backwards... That's a backwards pass. If you go around, walk around, and then spike it, that's intentional grounding. 
uh, and that's happened in an NFL game before. On fourth down. I don't even know if it was a spike, but still, yeah. So, Bo Nix throws a backwards pass. Uh, that ball is on the field and live, and Arkansas, uh, like an Arkansas player, recognizes, hey, wait a minute, there is a football and it's knocked down under center, and they tried to spike it, and the ball's over there, I'm gonna just fall on that thing, because logic dictates whenever there is a football on the ground, you pick it up, because it could just happen to be a fumble. You never know. So Arkansas dives on it, and Auburn, there's another Auburn guy there who recognizes, hey, wait a minute, he's gonna dive on that thing. I better get that ball just in case. The refs had apparently blown the play dead, which is like, okay... And then they never reviewed it. Here's the thing. You can actually review that kind of a call. That's not one of those inadvertent whistle moments uh, where it's like, no, the play is blown dead. No, you can review whether something's an incomplete pass or a fumble. That is something that's clearly defined in the rulebook. You can review whether something's a forward pass or a backwards pass and then overturn the ruling. Even if, by the way, they give Auburn possession of the ball... Like, let's say Auburn did come up with it. I don't exactly know because I never watched the game, but I saw the um, whole clip thingy. Let's say Auburn falls on it. Okay. But you at least looked at it. And you know what SEC officials did on Twitter? They doubled down on it. They doubled down. And this is something that just... It'll always get me about officials in football. I've noticed it. And in baseball, I've noticed it. In basketball, I haven't seen it. And in hockey, I have no idea because I don't follow it. Uh, in basketball, they tend to come out and say, yeah, we, we really screwed up and we're sorry. Oops. And in basketball, you know what happens? The NBA does a review process. Under two minutes of any, I think it's every game that's considered close, which I think is within 10 points, uh, they like, score the officials to make sure they're doing well, and then they assign officials to playoff games based on that score. But in the MLB, in the major leagues, whenever an umpire makes a horrible call, they double down on it, and it's considered rude to call out umpires for sucking at their job. Excuse me, Angel Hernandez for sucking at his job. I mean, for the love of God, there are two guys there are two umps, and I can't remember. One is Angel Hernandez, and he's the worst umpire in baseball, possibly. Uh, and there's another guy. And they are so bad, and they need to leave, and they should have been fired years ago, but for some reason they haven't been, and they call the worst balls and strikes. Uh, always been controversial since... Like, one of them, the other guy has been bad since the 90s. Like, players had a thing... I know I'm going off track, but players were asked, who is the worst umpire in baseball? And they said by a wide margin, he is by far the worst umpire in baseball. And then in football, it's the same thing. They always double down on a bad call. Guys, sometimes there are bad calls. Sometimes there are. I have seen occasionally where it was like, yeah, but when it's pretty obvious to everyone you should have at least done something, don't double down and say, no, I was fine. When everyone knows what happened. Everyone with two eyes. You do realize your rule books are online, right? Like, they're PDF copies people can download. They're not even that large. I can tell you because I once downloaded the entire NFL rulebook for the year 2016. Uh, read through a good bit of it. It's an interesting thing. Um, I may need to read through it again because randomness. But yeah, that's my thing. Just don't like it how officials 
officials, you need to at least have some sort of thing where it's like, no, you screwed up. And it's possible to screw up. They're human. We will... It actually... This is another thing. uh, Did you know that studies show that you appear more credible if you admit that you're wrong than if you never admit that you're wrong? The more that you admit your faults, the more that you're able to admit your faults, the more trustworthy others perceive you to be. Um, This is something that I learned and made sure to always implement. And I believe that it's an important life lesson that we're not all perfect. Perfection is not something to seek. It's betterment. You can never be perfect, but you can always be the best. You can always strive to be the best version of yourself. Hopefully, that can happen with the LSU defense. It's not perfect right now, but it'll strive to get better and better each week. I mean... It's going to be Florida. It's going to be a very tough game in a very tough environment. But maybe they'll do better. And better to me would be not giving up 500 yards of offense and not giving up 50 points. If you can do those two things, I will be less pissed off. I will. Because I don't expect that much of you. You've really lowered my expectations. So you don't have that high a bar to cross. And if you manage to do better, I'll be happy. I still will be mad if we lose the game, but, you know, I won't be as pissed off as I was yesterday. Unless, of course, you call stupid plays. I'm going to end this one with this. Hey, you're at the goal line. You're at the one-yard line. Why the hell aren't you calling a QB sneak on first or second down? I mean, on first down. Second down, I can see why you might do a play like the uh, handoff, but first down, QB sneak. There's no reason not to. I love the third and fourth down play calls, frankly. Uh, Great defense on fourth down. Holy cow, what a play. Uh, and as a neutral fan, if you watch that game, really entertaining. Just really entertaining. So that's going to do it for this episode of the two-point conversion. Um, hope you enjoyed. Sorry for that little tangent about officiating and stuff. Uh, and yeah, 20-point favorites and we managed to blow this one. Great job, guys. You got Florida coming up. You're going to get massacred, aren't you? Please prove me wrong. By the way, the margin, I believe, isn't 30, although it could be 30. Um, it's 24. Do not lose by 24. Win the damn game. No one will listen to this from that team. But that's going to do it here for the two-point conversion, uh, episode 7. Episode 8 will be out on Tuesday following the Saints and Chargers game. Uh, which, hey, remember when they said they were going to prob- maybe have to move it f- to Indianapolis? Yeah, how stupid was that? How stupid was that? Very stupid, wasn't it? Hmm? I get it. Have a contingency plan. I like the idea that they at least said, hey, look, just in case, there's a very low chance, but just in case, we have the exact spot to move it to. We don't have to worry about it. It's working together. And I gotta say, one Final thing about this game was all credits, kudos, everything to the guys at Missouri uh, for doing what they did, for working with LSU so well to move the game at such short notice with everything that's been going on down here. Um, It ended up being a pretty smart move. About, I think it was 60,000 people in East Baton Rouge were without power. Uh, My apartment, I don't think, lost power. I'm not exactly sure about that, but there's really no signs of it having lost power. 
and it has power now, obviously, I'm back up here, um, so yeah, this is the result of what happens when two teams work together to achieve a common goal of trying to play football together, so yeah, Florida, what the hell is wrong with you, why couldn't you have done this in 2016, it wouldn't have been that hard, we were trying to help you, ugh, <laughs> no matter what, you can always say this, with every little bit of stupidity going on, at least you're not as uncooperative as Florida was in 2016 when other when LSU was literally trying to help them play a football game. Just, that was the dumbest thing I ever had to see. So yeah, that's going to do it for this one. Uh, Two-point conversion, episode eight, coming out on Tuesday. Uh, hopefully that one will be after a Saints win. Uh, Justin Herbert's going to be starting for the Chargers. Michael Thomas is currently listed as questionable. We'll see how that goes on Monday night. Um, and yeah. So thank you for listening to this. I've been Ben Schluter. This has been the Two Point Conversion. I hope that this one was as successful as, well, anyone that could happen today on Sunday. Bye-bye.